second presentation, and today, tonight it's the lands of Abraham. Last week we talked about the table of nations, which again was a kind of difficult material, not because it's so complex, but, but because it's so scattered, and uh, it's not something that you can apply to your life spiritually per se. But today we're going to start talking a little bit more about some stuff that you will find interesting for uh, helping your faith, for assisting and giving your faith a foundation. Um, the lands of Abraham, you know, where did we come from? Where did the, where did the Jews come from? Where did uh, Christianity, its origins, it starts with Abraham. And the, it starts in a particular part of the world we now know as the Middle East. And it's called the Middle East because it's kind of in the east and it's kind of in the middle. And that's, that's, that's about it. But uh, it, is a, it is a place of turmoil. And it was, it is today, a place of turmoil. Uh, and it was a place of turmoil a thousand years ago. And it's a place of turmoil 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It's always been a place of turmoil. So uh, regardless of your politics, I will tell you that it is not because of American foreign policy uh, that it's a place of turmoil. It's been a place of turmoil for 5,000 years. And the reason is, is because, well, it's in the middle of everything. Uh, I have a picture of wheat up there. I'll get to that in two seconds, but keep that in mind. The, uh, the Middle East, uh, it, why the Middle East? Well, it's in, a, it's in a very fertile valley between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now, there's other river valleys like the Yellow River in China and the Indus River. Uh, there's also the Nile. This is where it's, it's on these river banks um, that civilization starts. And this is, uh, this, but this particular area will become the cradle of civilization. And the other ones, they, they, they produce civilizations, but it really does radiate from this point. And uh, there's reasons for that. One, the river floods. It's very stable. It's flat. It's easy to farm. And you can produce a lot of food for people. And there's one particular crop that grows in that river valley, and it's called wheat. Now, this is before all the uh, you know, vegetation ha has been shared by all the people. This is when uh, you know, Noah has gotten off the boat. It's hundreds of years after that. The plants have not been moved around. Uh, we take that for granted. Uh, we, we take things like, uh, if I were to tell you that the Europeans, or the, particularly the Spanish, brought back something Peru, from Peru so valuable that literally millions of lives depended on it, what would you think of? Would you think of gold? Because they brought back lots of gold. Would you think of silver? They brought back lots of silver. But this thing that's so precious that we depend on, I can go down and I can buy it at McDonald's for about a buck fifty. It's a potato. The Yankees, it took them 4,000 years to cultivate it and grow it and figure it out, but they did it. And uh, all of a sudden, the caloric yield out of a piece of, a piece of ground is three or four times more than um, other fruits and vegetables that you're growing. And when you do, when you, nowadays, we, do, we try to avoid potatoes. They're high in carbs. It makes us fat. We don't want to eat them. But if that's all you got, yeah, every day you need to have a potato. If, that's, if you have to choose between a potato or something else, you need that potato. Uh, wheat is the same way. It's high caloric content. Um, it's easy to grow. But it's not growing all over the world. It's really growing just here in the Middle East. That's why it's become so important. And it's, 
we tie that to, you know, the wheat has symbolism in Christianity. And that's not an accident. If, we, if the Christianity had grown in another part of the world, there'd be different crops that we'd be talking about. We might be talking more about corn if it had grown up in the Latin America. But the Christianity came out of the Middle East. It's tied to wheat. Um, the, uh, it, as I already said, it was in the middle of the crossroads. We're going to look at some maps, and we're going to show see where all the cultures intersected. Um, the, it, there's not an ethnic reason. It's not the, the civilization did not come out of the Middle East because the people were, were ethnically superior or they were just more intelligent than everybody else. Uh, it was because it was in the middle that you had this technology being shared. It, the cultures came together in the Middle East and exchanged information. Uh, and because you had also good farmland, yes, you had great farmland in this valley, but not much else. So those people had lots of food, but they had to trade that food to get better technology and to trade with their neighbors and uh, who didn't have the food but had the other stuff. And so this exchange of ideas, this communication, this is where the cradle of civilization gets created. So it's not an accident, you know, that, that Christianity was uh, and, and that God put his chosen people here because this was going to be the crossroad of civiliz- civilization this is where you would want to dispense the gospel or, or, the, or the Bible. Uh, this is what we call the Fertile Crescent. We call it the Fertile Crescent because it's shaped like moon. Uh, it's, uh, not, it's, a, it's kind of ironic, too, because in this part of the world, uh, they worship the moon. Uh, even Abraham was a moon worshiper before he became a follower of God. But that's the Fertile Crescent. And we're going to talk about this map, and we're going to look at this map several times. So uh, I'm going to come back to it. But notice right there in the middle, on the, on, right there below the word fertile is Assyria, and then about in the middle of the screen is Akkad, and down there on the bottom right you see some, see some other cities that you're going to recognize, Babylon, Uruk, uh, and Ur, and, uh, they're, they're just, and then there's, it's not on the map, but uh, Nimru. Okay, this is kind of hard to see on the screen, but these are just some of the empires that dominated that period of time. There was the Egyptians, they were dominating the Nile Valley, but then there was the Akkadian Empire. The Akkadian Empire uh, was the original, the, the, the original Sumer- uh, in, inhabitants of, um, of one of the original inhabitants of that land. They, they came after the Sumerians, and then after that there was the, the Babylonian Empire. So we're going to talk about those three, those three, those three people tonight, not the Egyptians, excuse me, we're going to talk about the Akkadians and the Babylonians, but uh, sometimes the Akkadians are also called the Assyrians, and you hear Neo-Assyrian Empire, and you hear Old Assyrian Empire, they're not, it, it, it's, it's really, don't get wor- too worried about trying to keep all the people straight, they're all related to each other, uh, and we're just going to hit the highlights, but uh, it's, sometimes the Akkadian Empire is called Assyrian, the Old Assyrian Empire. So there's a verse in the Bible, a uh, verse in the Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 10, if, and if we're little kids, we just kind of read it and we gloss over it. We don't give it much attention. And if we're not students of history, we're not going to recognize the gravity of what is said in this verse. Uh, it, chapter, Genesis chapter 10, uh, verses 8 through 12, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. 
from that the land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobothir, Calah, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Calah. And then it, there's the expression, that is the great city. So let's talk a little bit about this, because this is not just a random fact that's just thrown out there. It, there's, it's, the Bible goes back and refers to these cities all throughout the Old and New Testament. But not much, but there are verses uh, that do point back to Nimrod. And uh, you've heard the name Nimrod. Uh, I was talking to a member before the church, and he mentioned, uh, you know, he had even heard Bugs Bunny say, call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. And Nimrod is a common insult, uh, you know, or used to be. We probably used it more about 40 or 50 years ago. Someone who's dumb, someone who's uncivilized, someone who's a barbarian. And there's a reason for that. They're talking about Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, the Bible is using some very old text here. And they have chosen to translate that word, uh, a mighty man, a mighty hunter before the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean that he's the first man that could bench press 250 pounds? I mean, what, what does that mean, mighty? Uh, it means he was a tyrant. He ruled other men. What was he hunting? He was hunting men. He was not hunting uh, pigs. He was not hunting deer. He was hunting men. Now, that's, that's lost. That, that little detail is lost. But that is that the, the word there, tyrant and hunter, are very similar in the ancient text. And that's what, that, that's what it's talking about. Nimrod is also not somebody who is just specific to the Bible. Oh, no. There are lots of cultures and lots of uh, uh, ancient epics that refer to Nimrod. And, so, and we're going to talk about that. The, uh, this, this map shows you these four cities. Uh, I can barely see it on this screen, so I'm going to turn around a little bit. Um, Babylon is up on the left corner. Babel is Babylon. You know, they're not two different locations. Babel is located in Babylon. And Nippur, I said uh, Nimrud a second ago. I meant Nippur. Nippur is the, is the name for Kalna. Uh, because you have this language, this word going through various texts, you're not going to find exact iterations of it, but the but we have confirmed that Kalna and Nippur are one and the same. Nippur is one of the oldest cities in the world. Then down here in the bottom, this Uruk, that's Erech, E-R-E-C-H in the Bible, but it's Uruk uh, in, in a lot of translations. And then there's Ur, which is not mentioned in that verse because uh, it's talking about, uh, we'll, get, we'll talk about that when we talk about Abraham. And then not on this map is the city in the northwest, which was the city of Akkad. So these are real places. They exist. They've been dug up. They're not just passing references. But it was, you know, a lot. <laughs> they were not known. Some of these cities were not known, uh, you know, until they had been forgotten about. But the Bible spoke of them. And then when in the, in the 19th century, they were dug up and the, confirmed the uh, accuracy of the Bible. Uh, Micah 5, verses 5 through 6. And he shall be our pe- their peace. Now, he had just gotten done prophesying about who? About Jesus being born in Bethlehem. That is the famous prophecy of Micah 5. But after that, he says, And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. So there's this, talk, this verse is talking about Nimrod being in, from Assyria. Uh, and that is coupled with the prophecy of Christ, showing you the gravity of who Nimrod was. Nimrod is 
the original deviation from, the, uh, from God after Noah. Uh, he's going to be responsible for that, and we're going to study that. The, uh, this is the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. Now, that is the, uh, the great city of Nineveh. He actually, I'll go back a few verses. It actually is four cities. It's not just one. It's just like we have metro, you know, you have Nashville. You have metropolitan Nashville, Atlanta. Now, if I were to say Atlanta is one of the largest cities in the country, if you were to go and challenge me on that and look it up in the dictionary, you might say, well, Joel, Nash- Atlanta only has 350,000 people. And that's right. Atlanta, the city itself, only has 350,000. But when you say Atlanta, you don't mean just Fulton County. You're talking about a 20-county area, about 3 or 4 million people, because you're talking about that whole valley, that whole, uh, all of north-central Georgia. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. People have challenged the Bible, especially the book of no- Jonah, where it says it took Jonah three days to walk across He's, they're really not talking about just this walled city of Nineveh, but, but the entire valley, the ty- all, all four cities that were mentioned. Um, so this is the great city of Nineveh. What, that yellow square on the left side of the diamond, that would be this. These are the ruins that are now in Mosul, and we act, literally people are fighting over the sands and the soil of Nineveh right now as we speak. There's a battle being fought right now. It's a, it's a, it's a siege by the Iraqi army against ISIS, the terrorist group. And, and uh, ISIS has done a lot to destroy the ruins of the city. Um, but, but, the, but the city itself actually expands uh, beyond that, and it's about, uh, it about, about half of the size of Singapore. Um, now, when it says this great city, it's interesting because that, that verse comes up many times. He calls it that great city in Genesis. Well, you go to Jonah and you see the same language. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. He says it again in, in, in Jonah 3, 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against, all, call out against it the message that, that I tell you. When you look in Revelations, uh, Babylon becomes a symbol of the, all the corruption of humanity. And God refers to that as that great city. Or John, when he's writing it, refers to it as that. He says, and the woman that you see is that great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth in 1818. And, cried out as they, and they cried out, the merchants cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was as the great city? It becomes... Nineveh and Babylon become symbolic of all civilization. And so when, he, when John uses that language, that great city, he's borrowing against Jonah, talking about Nineveh. And Nineveh and Jonah is obviously talking about uh, the Nineveh that is referred to in Genesis. But who founded Nineveh? Who founded Babylon? Who founded civilization? Who founded the culture? It's Nimrod. So when God is saying that great city... Is it really that great? Well, it's great to us. But God is almost mocking that idea that it's really that great because he's going to destroy it. He's going to lay it to waste. And who's he mocking? He's mocking Nimrod, who's the grandson of Noah. Um, Jeremiah is another place where it, it talks about the great city, but it's talking this time about Jerusalem. But again, God is calling Jerusalem that great city. He's mocking Jerusalem. 
in the same way he mocked Babylon and, and Nineveh. So let's talk about the legend of Nimrod. He, what I'm about to talk to you about here is not stuff we find in, in the, uh, necessarily find in the Bible. We find it confirmed in other sources. Nimrod, he built this tower of Babel. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Other sources say that. That doesn't conflict with the Bible. That's compatible with the Bible. Um, he's actually referred to as Ninus uh, in the ancient uh, Babylonian and Assyrian uh, uh, reliefs in the ar- archaeology. Uh, he is uh, the king of Assyria. Uh, he, uh, Deodorus, which is the Greek historian, writing two or three hundred years before Christ, he wrote about Nimrod. He said that Nimrod subjected Babylon before it was a city. In other words, he conquered and hunted men. Um, we also know that he built this tower, and the Arabs have in their storyline, their legend, that he fell off this tower. Others say that a wild boar killed him, uh, and that others say he was executed and mutilated by elders for proposing idolatry as a means of control. Whatever the case, Nimrod is mentioned in all these great stories, and he died at the height of his career and was mutilated. These towers, it could be that some of these pyramids that we see are echoes of the, the Tower of Babel. Why did he build a tower? He did it to oppose God. God was generally always been known to be, exist in the sky. And he built that to attack God. Do you think he thought, well, if I build this tower, I can reach God? No. But I think he thought that I'm going to build this tower, I'm going to impress the other people, and they, they're going to think I'm like God. I think that's what he thought. Because this was an impressive piece of architecture. When we see pyramids and we see high places, even high places in the Old Testament, everyone wants to worship on high places. And these, uh, and, and these are, the pyramids in Egypt were not really places of worship per se, but th- they still are echoes of building things to a great height. The Mayan temple was a place of worship, and on the top of those temples, that's where they sacrificed their enemies. So let's talk about Baal, because what I'm going to tell you right now tonight is that the theory that, and I, I didn't come up with this theory, this is something that I've, I've read, I've studied, I was, it was taught to me when I was in college. Nimrod, and the story of Nimrod, is the foundation of the mythology of Baal. Now, I say Baal not to, not to say, oh, look, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. No, I'm, I'm saying Baal because there's actually another uh, god named Bel, B-E-L. So when we say Bel, I, I don't want to confuse it with Bel because I'm going to mention Bel, B-E-L, and Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal, you read it in the Bible. There's lots of idolatry. There's lots of gods. But... The Old Testament generally, generally refers to all of them as the Baals, the Baals, the Baals. How did that mythology come about? The theory is that it came up around the life of Nimrod. Now, the, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 19... Verse 3b, uh, it talks about child sacrifice. We won't read the whole verse. But down in verse 5, and they have built the places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree. And then I, I love this verse. Nor did it come into my mind. Now that's God, that's God talking. 
And it's a way of God saying, you know, you know, God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God knows everything. And he says, he uses this expression to describe how vile a sin this is. That he couldn't even imagine uh, people doing this. They, they do this in a location called the, son of, uh, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. That word is, becomes Gehenna. Gehenna is synonymous with hell. In fact, when Jesus says hell in the New Testament, he says that thir- the word hell is mentioned 13 times in the New Testament. 11 times it's said by the Son of God. And he's really saying Gehenna. He's saying Valley of the, Valley of the Son of Hinnom. The trash pit. The place where you dump your trash and burn it. That's where the Jews used to sacrifice their own children. And that became symbolic for the place of eternal destruction today. So that is tied to Baal. uh, Here's the story of Baal. Nimrod, at the height of his career, died. Now, Nimrod had a wife. Her name was Samiramis. And Samiramis wanted to basically, when she lost her position... She, uh, according to the, the, the reliefs, the archaeology, the, 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 the stories that they have dug up, when she lost her position, they think that she began to promote her own importance. That he left her, when he died, she was with child. And when she gave birth to that child, she claimed that her husband had been reborn through her. She becomes the foundation of the Asherah. That's, that's who she is. Semiramis is Asherah. We hear, we hear that name in other ver- versions. Sometimes we hear it known as Ishtar. I'll give you another word that, that you might not know. Um, Easter. The very word Easter. I, I don't say Happy Easter because Easter is, that's the anglicized, the English version of the name Ishtar. And Asherah. Um, it's, it, is refer, it is referring back to the, uh, the, the wife of Nimrod. She tried to claim that Nimrod was born again through her, and she claimed that he, he lived on through her, and that in a way he was both her husband and her son. And the, the, uh, that is, she becomes in that way queen of heaven, and she becomes the, if you want to contact her son, you've you got you to talk to his mother. And she becomes, uh, she becomes part of that unholy trilogy. Now, there's the son. And, by the way, Baal. What does Baal mean? Husband. Husband of who? Asherah. Now, if you want to contact the son, if you want to talk to the son, you've got to talk to his mother. Uh, she con- she control- helps control Baal. Uh, We'll go to, well, uh, this is Baal, the sun. He, he's constantly reborn. He's tied to sun worship. The sun gets lower and lower in the sky every winter. And then at the end of winter, they worship the solstice. They, work, they, they perform ceremonies and they get the sun to raise back into the sky. Of course, the priest, having observed the sun, knew that the sun was going to do this. But they tied all the fertility cults and all the, the, the worship of the sun around the seasons. Uh, there are various names of Baal, and he's always depicted, almost always depicted, and I don't even, haven't even found a reason why. I don't even know if they know why. He's always depicted with his right hand up in the air. But part of the mythology that makes this so interesting, he's really a perverted version of the Christ. 
he is going to, he basically, by sacrificing to Baal, Baal, you get permission to do things that are immoral. Baal becomes the religion of the state. You're supporting the priest. You give your sacrifices to the state. They can, now the priests can eat, and now you have permission to do what's wrong. You're, free, you're allowed to do other stuff. Because Baal, the son, is going to attack the father in heaven. He rebels against the father. And that is an interesting thing to, to keep in mind. Why did Baal and Asherah keep creeping back into Israel? And this other god that I had mentioned earlier, Bel, he's, he's God. He, he's, or he's the version of God. Uh, B-E-L. And even our name in the Bible, El, E-L, is God. Bel is God to the, to the, to the uh, idolaters. He's absent. He, he's left them alone. He's abandoned them. He's, he's put them on earth, and, he, and they, have to, they have to suffer and they, they're mad at God, and they want to organize and, and rebel against God and, and build up and, and correct all this, but they can't do it because he has burdened them with righteousness. And you even see depictions in, the, in some of the reliefs, uh, the, the, the force of Bel, the force of God, re- pushing them down. They're not be able to stand up straight. So they're going to send the sun, Baal, up to heaven to attack God. Now, we see this story, if you know anything about mythology, you know anything about other stories, this is a parallel, uh, I'm going to go back to that slide in a minute, I'm going to go to this slide and then back up, that is a parallel to other mythology. If you know anything about Roman mythology, who does Jupiter kill? He kills his father, Saturn. Who does Zeus kill? He kills his father, Chaos, or Cronus, excuse me, Cronus, hmm. Sounds a lot like Cush. In fact, a lot of people, people know, will argue that there are certain words, Cush, Kronos, chaos, uh, chaos uh, all mean darkness, all mean uh, the, the, that, that father that's not there. And in, in, in life, in, in, why Cush abandoned his father? Because Cush kept going. Cush left Nimrod, I mean, left, abandoned his son. He left Nimrod, and Cush went south. Uh, Nimrod uh, had an absent father, but that that name begins that 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 uh, that parallel. You see it in mythology. All of these different mythologies are echoing Bellism. Very interesting. That's why it seems to all tie together. When you go back and you read First Kings, uh, uh, why are they mutilating themselves? Why are they doing that? Well, it's because of the mythology of Baal. He dies, he falls off his tower, he gets killed by a wild boar, and that's what they're doing to themselves. They're mutilating themselves just like Baal was mutilated. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called it upon the name of Baal from morning and noon, until noon. O Baal, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or is he, he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. And they cried out and cut themselves for their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And 
he's mocking them. He's making fun of them. But, that, but they were kind of used to that. I mean, that was, the, they, 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 that was part of the theology of Baal. He was absent, just like his father. You had to get his attention. But he would respond. His father would never respond. So when you see them bringing Asherah and Baal into the temples, they're bringing Baal in there to attack God because they're mad at God. It's not just that they picked another God. It's that they're adding on and corrupting the theology that they've already been given. Does that make sense? It's, uh, that, 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 uh, hopefully that explains it. It's not just because of the sex. Okay? It's, that's not, it's not just because of that. That's part of it. But, also, but the state uses that to control the people. Um, so Baal is seen as the liberator from righteousness. There's the worship of immorality. Uh, and as we mentioned, uh, they worship the nature. Uh, it's the worship of nature and the sun. And then followers often prayed to his virgin mother, Asherah. There's uh, involved in Baal worship. There's sacred prostitution, self-mutilations, human sacrifice, usually baby girls because their baby females are obviously the source of uh, of life, right? They produce life, and so they had to give Asherah back her youthfulness. So they, in a way, they were giving that baby girl back to Asherah. And then there's Asherah poles, and then uh, some of the other stuff, like colored eggs and stuff like that, does have its roots in uh, Baal worship. I'm not going to go um, raid the next Easter egg hunt at a school uh, anytime soon, and my kids look for Easter eggs when they were little. It's not that I don't... Uh, I'm not, please don't go two steps ahead of me. I just don't say the name Easter. But I'm not going to, uh, not going to ruin some kid's um, uh, candy hunt. Okay. Back to the, back to the map. Um, it, so he founded these people, these four cities. They become the Sumerians. Now, the Bible doesn't say Sumeria. The Bible says Shinar. That's Samaria. Um, and, sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. Down here in the bottom, this is the cradle of civilization. These are the great cities that he founded. This is where, now, the archaeologists and the anthropologists and the historians will all say the same thing the Bible says. Civilization came out of uh, this part of the world. Okay, so let's talk about the Sumerians. They're organized by Nimrod. Uh, so not, it's synonymous with Shinar. I've already mentioned that Uruk is Erek, and Nippur is Kalna, and Akkad is more to the northwest, and the Babel is Babylon. The, uh, they called themselves, uh, I'm not even going to try to really say that, but it was something like Ugsagiga, means black-headed. Uh, that was uh, one way they distinguished themselves. The Hyksos, we'll talk about the Hyksos next week, they were red-headed. Um, just, uh, that, that's just an interesting, uh, interesting fact. Um, there's some artwork uh, from the Sumerians, uh, very sophisticated. You're talking about stuff that's uh, 4,500 years old, 4,500 4, years old. Uh, and th- then there's some of the, st- the figu- figurines uh, dating back to that period. The, uh, the, 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 they're very capable of architecture, and they're very capable of uh, sculptures, and uh, something that's not matched again until the Roman times. I mean, very sophisticated people. So let's talk about the Amorites. Now, this, the... the the uh, original Sumerians are descended from Nimrod, uh, and he organized them. But then the Amorites are also f- sons of the, of the Hamites. Uh, they become enemies of uh, the people of God. We're going to talk a little bit about them. 
Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, etc. Uh, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And they, after that, they scatter. The Canaanites go down the western coast. The Amorites stay in the middle. Now, about 2100, uh, the, the Akkadian Empire dominates that central valley until about 2000 B.C., and then something happens, uh, weather-wise. The world starts getting cooler. Now, we're all, we all worry about uh, global warming and the weather getting colder, the weather getting warmer. Uh, yeah, th- that does happen. It's been happening for a long time. <laughs> and uh, we probably are in the middle of a natural warming cycle right now. Um, but it, there were periods of time where it was just as warm as it is now, and it actually got colder. We've had two what we call dark ages, uh, or th- uh, three dark ages, in, uh, many dark ages in human history. One of them is about to happen. And when, when, when everything's easy to grow, you can grow a lot of food, you produce a lot of people, um, everything's great. And then the world gets colder, and all of a sudden you can't grow things, and the world starts to, to contract starts pushing these people into each other. And that's what happens. And you start seeing a lot of violent warfare in around 2000 B.C. Uh, this is going to coincide with the famines that uh, brought, Joseph in, uh, brought Joseph's family into Canaan. Uh, the world is beginning to get colder. So the Amorites, um, the Bi- when the Bible talks about Amorites, it's usually referring to the hill people in Canaan. But the actual term is, is actually for the Horites, the, the Jebusites, and a lot of other uh, relatives of the Canaanites. They're mainly people to the east, and they actually go down into the valley and take over the Sumerians. They become uh, known as Babylonians, the original Babylonians, because the Babylonians that take over Israel are not ethnically connected to the Babylonians of Hammurabi. And Hammurabi is in the Bible, but you might not know it because he's called by another name, but I'll point that out in a second. But um, if you've heard of Hammurabi, the great lawmaker. The, um, the Amorites, uh, the historians uh, de- debate their origins. A lot of people think they're Indo-Europeans, but they're actually Hamites. Uh, the Nazis claimed them as ancestors. And uh, why were they called Amorites? If, if you speak Spanish, you'll think amor, love. It's Valentine's Day. We have love on the brain. It has nothing to do with that. It's the uh, Amor is the, the, the people of the pasture. Um, they were known as Westerners, uh, just like uh, the Bible talks about Northerners invading. Uh, they're called Westerners because they're from the west of Samaria. Uh, they are very savage. They're very uncivilized. But they do reorganize Babylon, and they adapt the civilization of the Sumerians, and they produce Hammurabi. Um, Here's an ancient Sumerian text talking about the, the um, Amorites. But they're called the Martu. But that's them. Uh, for those who have studied language and have put these things together, we'll have to take their word for it. They're called the Martu who know no grain, the Martu who know no house or town, the boars of the mountains, the Martu who dig up mushrooms, who does, do not bend their knees to cultivate the land, who eat raw meat and who have no house during their lifetime, who is not buried after death. That's, that's the type of people we're dealing with. These are not exactly well-kept people. 
they uh, go down that valley and, uh, and conquer Babylon and then use Babylon as a base to dominate the rest of the empire. Okay, let's go to Abraham real quick. Uh, he is from a city called Ur of the, Chal- of the Chaldees. Now, the Chaldeans are not alive yet. Uh, not, they have not emerged as an ethnic group. Uh, Ur was, for a long time, was told to be something the Bible made up. There was a, people don't think, when you think of the 1800s, you don't think of a lot of irreligious people walking around. But, you, you know, we think of the 1800s in America, that was a period of great religious revival. But in Europe, that was not the case at all. It was a case of... Uh, the decline of religion, and a lot of German and a lot of English and a lot of um, European scholars were really attacking the Bible as being valid at all. I mean, they, could, they just couldn't wait to get to, get, to disprove the Bible. Um, that was the age of Darwin. Uh, they said, Ur is made up. Well, this Leonard Woolsey discovered the city, and they know enough about ancient languages to realize that that this was Ur. Now, it wasn't called Ur Kasdim or Ur of the Chaldeans. It was just called Ur. But this is what, this, uh, what he d- hypothesized was it's called Ur of the Chaldeans because in the Bible because it's in the land that became the land of the Chaldeans. Um, and an uh, interesting thing that Joshua says about Abraham, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They worshipped idols. In fact, there was a recent film uh, that depicts Abraham. I think it was the Bible miniseries on the History Channel, or Discovery, maybe. And uh, it shows Abraham wor- worshipping an idol before God called him. And that's probably true. In fact, his father's name meant moon. And he was probably a moon worshipper. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Naor, and Aaron. And then... They uh, mentioned Sarah and uh, his wife, and they migrated across the Fertile Crescent. Now, there are people here, by the way, are still pretty old. They're still topping out at 200. Um, as, as each generation passes, they, they get younger and younger. I have a theory about that, but I will not, uh, divul- I will not uh, digress. Um, they, this is where Abraham starts. He starts in Ur. He goes up the, the river. There's a lot of unrest, and he's trying to escape that probably, but he's doing it because God told him to move. So he goes to the land of Canaan, and uh, that red line is his journey, if you follow the Scriptures. And he even went all the way to Egypt. And he does this because there's a famine in the land, uh, in the, in, and uh, because the world is getting colder and if the world gets colder, it actually gets harder to grow food, not less, because you make the rain cycle more inefficient, but that's another conversation. Um, Genesis 13, verse 14 through 18, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring. Forever, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length of the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Does anyone know where the oaks of Mamre are located? This is where the Lord would manifest himself in physical form and come and talk to him. Uh, come talk to Abraham. 
And that's very, very close to Bethlehem. Very close to Bethlehem. Um, so now, down here in the bottom left corner, they are, they, Abraham, Abraham has migrated to Canaan. You see the word Megiddo, which is a Canaanite town that becomes the source of a great battle in about 1350 B.C. You would know that hill as Armageddon. So when people talk about Armageddon in Revelation, before we get too carried away, uh, he's probably, John is really talking back, he's refusing a figurative battle between good and evil, talking about the great epic battle of 1350, uh, which was, uh, at the time, was one of the most famous battles of history, but that's Armageddon. Uh, Genesis 14, in the days of Armaphel, king of Shinar, Armaphel is Hammurabi. Hammurabi's famous for his code of laws. Sometimes you'll see him inscribe, uh, 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 you'll see a little sculpture of him on some courthouses, uh, along with Moses, because he is the source of secular law. And uh, I don't know if there's anything necessarily wrong with paying tribute to Hammurabi. A lot of the things that Hammurabi uh, wrote in his law were pretty good. They, they made sense. In fact, people accuse uh, the Israelites of basically, um, for want of a better word, plagiarizing Hammurabi on his law. No, I think it's, those laws just make sense. But things like don't commit adultery, stuff like that, he had that in his law too. Um, these kings uh, ended up fighting, I, I, because we're short on time, I'm going to gloss over this, but Abraham, in, ja- in Genesis chapter 14, there's a very big battle. It's called the Battle of Nine Kings. Uh, and basically, the, the kings of the east go up against the kings of the west. The, the, the kings of the east are Sumerian, they are a mixture of Semites, uh, or Shema, uh, Semites and Hamites, and they go up against uh, the Hamites in the west, where Canaan and the Amorites are. And uh, also the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Horites, which were all uh, cursed by Noah. And uh, they, uh, they tend to get pushed out and eliminated uh, in, in the years to come. Um, okay, moving on real quick. Okay, the, uh, for the, okay, so this is the battle of Abraham uh, in verses 11 through 16. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. The one who escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eskol and Aner, these were the allies of Abraham. Abraham. So Abraham was allied with these men. And uh, he, this was what was going on during his time. These are all people, all these peoples, all these names that are mentioned, they exist. And there's archaeological evidence for them. Um, there's also the Canaanites, uh, which sometimes the Horites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites are lumped in with them. Uh, and they are also kin to their Amorite cousins. They speak a similar language. Um, the, the Phoenicians of Jezebel were actually manifestations of other Hamites, other people that were distant relatives of the Canaanites, but not the original Canaanites. Cush, the father of Nimrod, went into Egypt, and his sons, Mizraim, which is also translated as Egypt, founded Egypt, and then his son Put, uh, settled Libya, and actually those people came back 
to the west coast, uh, or back to the, uh, the coast of uh, Lebanon and Israel. Okay. Um, let's, let's end on a high note. Uh, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and there will be, they will be afflicted there for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go back to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a, in a good, old, good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On the, that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So God is speaking through history. He has it all planned out. So sometimes it does take, it is worthwhile to just talk about the history in a concentrated form. So I pr- thank you for your patience. And next week we're going to talk about Egypt and the conquest, the exodus and the conquest that follows. And uh, again, if you have any questions, just, just, uh, just ask. Let's, uh, let's have a prayer. Does anyone have any prayer requests? Okay, I'll go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this evening uh, that we can come and study your word in peace and the warmth of this church.